Hello, hello, and welcome to Le Portie, your weekly destination to hear about what happened in the hospitality industry around the world last week. I am Miriam, and this is Mish. Hi there. What we do is dig through hundreds of newspapers and articles and YouTube channels, so you don't have to. <laughs> He also keeps you updated on global events, what's up in academia, and what softwares are currently changing the industry. We most certainly stick to facts, uh, but occasionally add our personal opinion to it. And that's why you listen to our podcast and not yours. <laughs> All right, let's jump right in. Let's do that, Miriam. How are you this week? I am very well. I hope my voice is not too cracky after over 23 meetings last week. <laughs> Oh, I think we have similar experiences, except I just uh, spent it being sick the whole week and coughing. So maybe, <laughs> maybe our both of our voices don't sound normal this week. Okay, then we, we do this podcast with a little bit of a, uh, how do you say in English, a cracky voice? Yeah, let's do that. Let's I'm do sure, that. Because otherwise it sounds perfect on our podcast. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, I think we should start with the follow-up, right? From, yes. Uh, we will, what we do now is we follow up with certain news that we've looked at the uh, past few weeks. This week, we have two follow-ups. First of all, bedbugs that we talked about last week. Apparently, bedbugs is now also in the UK. <laughs> <sighs> so, it's slowly spreading. Now, the, the news source we, we looked up obviously isn't very... Uh, I mean, it's mostly they're written to, you know, sort of clickbait people into being worried about it and, you know, how to fight bed bugs and so on and so forth. But mm. the news is the news. Um, UK has bed bugs or at least has some. Probably came through Euro. Uh, what was it called? Euro, um, no, Euro jail. <laughs> Euro, uh, yeah. Euro, uh, what was it called? Uh, whatever. There's a train line between uh, Paris and London, right? Yeah. So most likely like that. <gasps> oh, my God. It is starting. Exciting. Exciting. It's going to take over. Bed bugs taking over Europe. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, that's a pretty nasty type of bed bug, eh? Uh, or I don't know if it's a subspecies or whatever, mm. but definitely resilient. Well, at least maybe it just wants to travel, as, as, <laughs> as we indicated. It's a good week. tourist. Yeah, exactly. Sustainable traveling as well. Train is pretty good, right? I think it's mostly uh, electric. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. I mean, maybe we're going to have another news next week uh, that bed bugs travel to Germany. So um thank you so much for the follow-up <laughs> no problem what do you have to follow up on this uh i mean i promised that i would give a quick feedback about how it was at the expo um there were over a thousand eight hundred and fifty exhibitors from over 36 country and over forty thousand participants so it was definitely a very big big conference um which served as a platform to address challenges such as increased Increasing interest rates, stagnated construction projects, inflation, yada, yada, yada. I think we've spoken about them many times, um, mostly in urban development, housing construction and financing. But of course, also, you know, what happened in, in the hospitality industry. And I think it was very interesting. It was very interesting because I have a lot. I had lots of different conversations. Some people are quite optimistic. I kind of call them the sharks. Um, They have lots of, of, of cash still still waiting to invest, holding that, hoping that the prices will still go further down so they can buy um, real estate from, from companies that 
went bust, or mainly project developers that started building but don't have enough money to finish their projects and need to sell them cheap. Um, then you have the yeah the the project developers who who are quite negative at the moment, quite worried about um, the prices of construction and so on and so on. Um, and the refinancing coming up, which is more expensive. But then you also have kind of the hopeful bunch, which are the operators also, uh, the operators and the sharks, uh, because, yeah, still brands are expanding, creating new brands, and, and operator changes are still happening frequently um, at, the, at the moment. But I would say that's pretty much my, my takeaway from the fair some people still say that we're gonna have an even worse crisis coming up they say we're gonna have a correction period now for about a year um others say oh we think at the end of the year there's still gonna more gonna be more transactions happening in the hospitality real estate um i mean there are firms who still need to to invest their money and place it but um there's a bit of a yeah a waiting period at the moment everybody's kind of checking out what might happen interest rates stagnation and inflation uh no solutions yet no solutions yet more no. like oppor opportunistic uh go <laughs> entrepreneurs going around exactly <laughs> basically getting stuck I'm, i mean so. that's what i said right i think this the sharks are quite hopeful uh really it feels like the, they are lingering and waiting to 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 go for the weak prey just kind of how it felt at least to me um very so they're very they're very hopeful they're very hopeful <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. was that was i guess the after i mean with that with that kind of mood the after party must have been great there have been so there there didn't there weren't that many after parties to be honest, usually, you know, many brokers would have huge parties and, you know, there would be lots of food and alcohol all around the fair. That didn't happen as crazy this year as, as I was told as the years before. People were like, oh, no parties, <laughs> very little. <laughs> so, okay, so a very civil visit, meetup without alcohol. No? I mean, I don't know if you can call it civil. It was still Expo Real, but... Um, Less parties than and less alcohol than the year, uh, years before. Less lavish, let's say that. Sounds good. I mean, it is what it is, right? I guess uh, all the different factors we talked about just uh, exactly. Them. And I mean, it was in the news, right, that Collier has closed their hospitality um, broker department in Germany. So I mean, these are signs. Engelund Volkers has uh, put people on short work. I mean pretty it's not an easy time if no transactions are happening it's a good time if you're a shark it's a good time if you have cash and you're a shark <laughs> if you're a shark if you're a loaded shark then yes it's a good maybe, time for loaded maybe, shark. maybe maybe a little baby shark i mean that could, that could work as well all right yeah then let's i guess move on to the next uh, piece let's of move news on. yes <clears throat> i think you wanted to share with us uh what happened in motel one Yes, Model One got hacked by Elfie. I mean, that's what that's what what I read online. Um, it's very unfortunate, very, very, very unfortunate. Um, over six terabyte of customer records 
were found on the black market dating back to 2016, including private details like phone numbers of employees, credit card uh, details, and so on and so on. Uh, Moto One stated that it was extremely professional hackers. Um, yes, customers are kind of still waiting for to get an apology that their data is now um, for sale on the black market. Um, you said, so I guess the, the hacker group, uh, they also called Black Cat, an interesting name, uh, Cyber Gang. Um, they basically claimed that they did it. Did they state why or is it just to make money? I didn't find that. Ah, yeah, it says that they were trying to get money, but it hasn't been officially confirmed, I think, by the police. They said that they were blackmailing with the... They were being blackmailed, but it hasn't been confirmed. Okay, Motel so it's not, it's not like they it. didn't like the, the service of Motel 1 and wanted to hack them. <laughs> they just thought, ah, oh, this one is going to be a nice cash pot. I mean... I think it's 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 very unfortunate. I think I don't know how many, almost everyone I know, at least from the hospitality industry, has slept in a motor one at least once in their life. So all our data is there. My data is there. If I think about it now. Oops. Mine as well. Yeah, probably. I I think so. Shit. Oh, changed my credit card anyway. So it's fine. <laughs> Must have been old. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, but didn't you didn't you add an article which says what 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 we can do against cyber attacks? Yes. So the um, you know our tips and tricks this week. Um, the CEO of Comfort AG basically is, uh, was gonna was basically discussing how you could fight this, and the, his overall summary was that you know you kind of have to do a bit of everything. So that means a bit of everything. That doesn't. That's not. Right. Yeah. Well, he goes into you know minute details of. You have to have first and foremost the understanding is if you have a pretty good solid system it's pretty hard to hack it and the most hacks actually happen when um let's say a an employee comes in and his computer has already been hacked outside because he downloaded some random stuff off the internet and then that spreads within the network in the office for example and then obviously gets into the servers or something so mm. <clears throat> Most of the risks are, as I think maybe some of you have seen the show, Robot <laughs> describes as they, no, I don't think a lot of hacks go through sort of front frontal attack of trying to, um, well, I mean, we're, <laughs> you have a very limited understanding of this, but when you can just hack somebody's uh, computer by installing a virus in it, and then that virus already gets into the office, it's much easier than trying to hack some complicated server network of a huge chain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They said that there was a kind of some kind of um, one computer in like a small town or something, or like a smaller town of one employee that kind of initiated the hack for for Moto One. So somebody clicked on the wrong hack picture, basically. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe we need to get some more information how how the hack was actually possible. Um, the article was quite superficial on just how much data has been leaked and stuff so yeah i mean unfortunately you also are obliged to keep this data right uh, you have to i think in certain countries it's up to 10 years that you have to keep this data somewhere yeah. so the act of deleting it for example and saying we don't have the credit card data and you have to renew it once in a while that's not legal <laughs> <sighs> so blame the government i suppose it's their fault not the hackers no no they okay. just this is, that's just their job i mean what do you okay. expect of them they're just doing their <laughs> job <laughs> They're hackers. They're, that's their profession. What are they supposed their to job. do? Their job. They did their no. job. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
All right, another piece of news then from uh, from my end. Um, is this one is uh, I mean it's pretty interesting. I liked it quite a bit. Amex, so the American Express, um, has basically released a report, a forecast uh, onto what is actually going to happen with with hotels in 2024. And this is not just uh, you know in one country or it is a global. Okay, but wait, can I quickly jump in? Because if Amex does a forecast, that just kind of means it just has a certain target group. Because if you have an Amex, you have a certain amount of money at your disposal, correct? Correct. So it's just, you could say wealthy individuals. Because how would they make a forecast based on their data? Because they only have data of... <clears throat> the report what itself happened? states that they they looked up um, hotel data themselves. Uh, so, for example, they actually look, worked with a bunch of hotel partners that they work with, right? They they don't only work with. Uh, I mean, I think they effectively work with almost every hotel there is, right? But yes, you're mm. correct. I think they might not work with tiny little B and Bs that don't even take credit card or those that you know are struggling with Mister or Mastercard. Um, at least in Europe, Amex is not taken anywhere everywhere, but I think in mm. America it's pretty widespread, right? So. Okay. It really depends. But um, yeah, but let's put it this way. The data is definitely representative from the side view of an American traveler, perhaps. <laughs> okay. Um, now, the data, I mean, if you go into it, basically they go have every continent and then you go into the top kind of cities for each continent uh, and how they're going to be doing. And effectively, not a single city that they've listed is expected, according to them, to decrease in tourism demand and or travel demand. And then they always, you know, you always conveniently provide a link uh, or a small paragraph explaining why. But basically, (laughs) I'm not sure if this is realistic or not, but according to Amex, (laughs) everywhere in the world, 2024 is going to have an increase of at least minimum 4%. So that's already above uh, inflation. Now, to me, (laughs) this is already in itself as a, (laughs) <laughs> it's a great forecast, you know? It's going to be great. Next year, <laughs> everybody's going to be making money left and right. <laughs> For example, here, if we go to um, Europe, they say Berlin is going to have a 10% increase. Um, uh, Barcelona is going to have a 9%. Uh, sorry, uh, Amsterdam is going to have a 10.8%. And Berlin is going to have 9.4%. Amsterdam or the local, you know, the locals from Amsterdam are definitely going to be excited that their tourism is going to increase by at least 10, 10%, even though they have cut down their, their airline routes <laughs> and are actively trying to kick tourists out as well as Barcelona. So I'm not sure if this data is representative at all. Oh, I've seen, okay, so the only place I've seen so far that is below 4% forecast is Oslo. Only Oslo is having a hard time based on... Well, they on, it's only going to be an increase of 2.4%, <sighs> the poor Norwegians. Okay. So actually, you kind of found this this um, source to make fun of it. Maybe. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, as, as I like it. I really like it. Thank you. It just feels like. As you remember, sometimes you know, occasionally we go into the forecast section, and there's always a forecast doing some forecast. There is always a forecast. There is always a forecast doing something. This, this time it's American Express. Uh, so guys, if you. If you're struggling with your bank giving Love you a loan, if you're struggling with the bank giving you a loan to your for your hotel business or perhaps opening up a new restaurant, just show them the Amex report and tell them Amex told me ten percent. So I don't know what you're worried about. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Hey, but now if you were talking about 
uh, forecast. Now we kind of need to look at the at the benchmark now, right? Which is Let's our next, it. which is Let's our next uh, type of, of news. And um, you found the guest experience benchmark report, meaning uh, they have uh, analyzed over three million reviews and nine million comments from over nine thousand five hundred hotels. That's a lot of that's a lot of data that they packed into that report. Um, where where they want to get a sentiment on on what happened uh, in the hospitality industry based on guest reviews. So the Global Review Index, so this is um, the report from Q2. So comparing from Q1 to Q2 in 2023. So the, the Global Review Index rose by one point. So now the average review is about 85.5. Um, there has been more increases in four and five star hotels and a little bit of less increase for the three star hotels, kind of in average reviews. Um, the volume has increased by nearly 20% from Q1 to Q2, um, still remaining 8% below pre-pandemic levels. Um, Asia Pacific had the most increase in reviews. So more people writing reviews from Q1 to Q2, 20% more. Um, as we, we know in many places, Booking.com is kind of the market leader in, in terms of how many reviews they generate. So they generate 39.2% of all reviews, um, but they kind of lost market share, which is 8.7%. Yes. And then it, it was kind of interesting. So they also analyzed um, how often hoteliers respond to reviews. So they respond to reviews 61.6% and 63. So, so now they said they kind of um, said that if the reviews were positive, they have a response time of 3.6 days. And if the re response, uh, if the reviews are negative, they take 4.3 <laughs> so the response time for negative reviews for hoteliers is much longer. Almost a bit kinda, longer. Exactly. I kind of love it because that makes so sense. Because I, if I was a GM and I would get a shit review, I would need to like think about it for one day. <laughs> be like, what do I answer? No, not today. I would like write a draft and be like, you. <laughs> exactly. Maybe and then I would just let it. it. But calm down a little bit for exactly. it. Exactly. You need to like put it down for one day and then you respond like responsibly. I get, I totally, I love that this is kind of like also, put in data now. Uh, also, the, what you wrote down here, right? 63% uh, response rates to positive and 53% yeah. to negative. So, you know, even though you wait exactly. a bit longer, sometimes you just say, ah, fuck it, I'm not going to Exactly. I'm just not responding to that. But I think that, yeah, I, I like, you know, like if they're positive, you're like, oh, yeah, thank you very much. It's written very quickly. Then hmm, I'm going to thank you for your feedback. We will, of course, change our whole heating system within two days. <laughs> do, do they provide also the review index by by region or by city? I think they do. I think okay. they do. I, but I, I mean, didn't put it in. That's a pretty handy number, right? You can... You can compare yourself to the industry average at least, right? So, for yeah. example, you wrote down 85.5. So, that's effectively an 8.5 on booking, right? Yeah. That's basically the average score that you get. 
that's pretty yeah that sounds about right i think anything above so anything above you can be happy with yourself everything above 8.5 you can be happy yeah because you're you're doing better than the market obviously maybe if if you go into more the regional stuff then uh, perhaps differently but yeah okay nice i think on, on this note we can finalize the statistics news this week I know, but it's fun. It's a report. Come on. It's not fun. <laughs> Reports are your fun. Sorry. You know me, you know me, I did like it, but, but I'm glad you like it too. <laughs> it's your stuff usually. You like reports. You like analytics. Okay, okay. Well, Do you want to talk about academia now? Or? No, well, guess what? This week, the Nobel laureates <laughs> were receiving their prizes. So they were announcements who won the Nobel prizes, right? So we're going to go into that. We can go into that later. Yes. Go, um, go for it. Um, well, I mean, another piece of news to the one of the last pieces of news that we found is related to externalities. Oh, sorry, to, to hospitality, hospitality is the fact that uh, India is now also joining the experience economy. What does that <laughs> uh, mean? So, <clears throat> I mean, you have talked about it quite a bit, right? Um, there is sort of this uh, common understanding that the, the richer the country, the richer the person, the more likely they are to move on from wanting to buy commodities products, physical things, uh, going up to wanting to buy experiences and feelings and, you know, so, so this kind of sort of thing. And India, according to HVS, is kind of entering that air period now uh, where the, well, first of all, the, the hospitality offers, both hotel and restaurant, is slowly increasing. And uh, now there's a lot of different options that can be also called experiences. So, for example, the article mentions how there is a military style resort, for example, in India, where you can go and you can have a, you know, <laughs> a military training while you have a hol- on ho- while you're on holiday. Or now there's a lot of glamping offered, right? For those who don't know, basically glamorous camping, where you go to a place to hike and, and, and camp, but you get a really fancy tent with a shower and you get food cooked for you. Somebody carries your bag uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is, that's pretty, pretty. I think it's pretty positive piece of news shows that India is uh, getting stuff done. Um, I looked into statistics actually, just to to understand this. Of a course, bit more. you did. Yes, yes. To understand if uh, if India is uh, if this really is representative of like the GDP, right? So, for example, mm-hmm. an average first world country would have around sixty to seventy percent GDP of it in the service sector, whether that is sixty, uh, sixty to seventy. So, whether that oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So whether that is uh, tech or the tech or tourism or travel or logistics, anything health that is and not, medicine. Yes, exactly. Anything that isn't physical. And uh, India currently is above 60 already. Okay. Uh, well, you know, 50% of that 60 is uh, software. As some of you might know, India is pretty famous for tech products and IT and software offerings. Mm. The um, tourism right now is, or oh, sorry, travel is currently at 4% okay. of, of the 60%. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, a pretty simple piece of news that uh, represents what, what's going up in other pieces of other parts of the country and parts mm. of the world. And um, I think on that note, we need to move on to other things. Um, mm. Some of you might have heard that um, over this week, Hamas has invaded Israel. Now, whatever you think about it, doesn't uh, whether you have a political stance or not, uh, I think either way, this isn't going to be a very positive thing for anybody involved. No. Um, 
regardless, <laughs> Skift wrote an article saying the tourism sector is now effectively shut down. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I mean, we have talked about people who want to go to tourism locations post crisis, but I think we're still, I still I think we're still mid crisis here. So <laughs> unless somebody's high on adrenaline, right, and you wanna wanna go have that kind of holiday, I think you cannot even travel. There is no way you you can travel in at the moment as a you can travel out civilian yes. you can, out, you but go. not in. Probably not. No, I would imagine not. Well, no. Yes, people can. Several. I mean, a lot of Israelis are going back to, to support. Okay. Right. So. But then you need a passport. You. you yeah. Cannot... Perhaps as a tourist, if you arrive, you like, can I go on a, on a no. beach holiday in Tel Aviv right now? You might be declined. Yes. Um, so on the other side of things, um, the U.S. has the moved its warships closer to Israel, and it's now going to provide uh, more military and equipment support and. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are also saying, we talked about this actually a few months ago, there is this thing that was called the Abraham Accords, which was supposed to be a type of peace treaty between a multitude of um, uh, Middle Eastern countries, including United Arab Emirates, uh, Israel, Saudi Arabia, uh, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, that, <clears throat> that might be at risk, obviously, because it's hard to sign peace accords while <laughs> people are bombing each other. Um, it might that have been a reason? Yes, I mean, I mean, we're not one a of them. Yeah, we're not a political podcast, but uh, the the the, the, mm-hmm. the articles we we found this week were basically stating that uh, that could be one of the reasons why uh, mm-hmm. Hamas is doing that right now to prevent Israel from uh, actually working closer with other countries, right? Because that is okay. obviously not beneficial for them. Who also don't know, actually, we we've uh, HVS made a pretty interesting art wrote a pretty interesting article how the abraham accords actually were uh, a very positive net influence on the economy already mm-hmm. uh, and uh, i don't remember the number exactly but they were they've proven to have proven to show an additional like millions if not billions of uh, basically revenue gdp revenue for the countries involved because right peace mm, <laughs> economic prosperity and trade yeah. is is a positive so um, yep this is just one of those um, the, one of those uh, pieces of articles that we add to our uh, pile of war, different coups, COVID, and uh, and illness news. That is, unfortunately, it's <sighs> happening across the world. This one, I just get very quiet. I don't, yeah. yeah it's not I don't political. really know what to to add. I mean, <laughs> I, I was calling a Ukrainian relative recently, and uh, they were celebrating a birthday and celebrating and mm. having a party, music. <laughs> well, approximately 40 kilometers away, uh, people are having a fallout war. <laughs> Something what happened in Israel basically every day, maybe even on a bigger scale, right? So, um, well, people people tend to get used to it, unfortunately. Huh. On that piece of on that part of uh, news. I think we can move on to say that this week Nobel Prize winners were announced. Yes, let's move on to the Nobel Prize winners. I think this is within the doom of news. This is definitely a positive one. <laughs> this, this, this week, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you got me really quiet, and I'm like, okay, yes, Nobel Prize winners. <laughs> Yay! No, um, it's actually some really good. Uh, very amazing achievements that if I mean if you go through it, if you understand half the stuff that people get awards for, it sounds pretty amazing. So medicine, guess what goes to the inventors or the people who discovered um, uh, technology that enabled the, the development of the COVID vaccine or specifically the mRNA technology. 
So they already got a Nobel Prize. By the way, this is very unusual, right? Usually you get a Nobel Prize about 30 years after you made the discovery because they kind of are going through a very, very big delay on that, right? So, I mean, they were generally really fast, right? They got their vaccine approved within one year and they got a Nobel mm-hmm. Prize within two. They're doing something, right? Yeah, bureaucracy. Doing, is, yeah, exactly. It's going well. Um, physics and chemistry. Now, uh, I, I was trying to understand this uh, well before this this uh, podcast. Basically, for physics, uh, there was a group of scientists who received a Nobel Prize, so not just one person, and it's for the experiments with light capture, the shortest of moments. Yes, that's literally quote unquote what the Nobel Prize is for. Uh, if you understood that. Good, good for you because I didn't. And then uh, I was just gonna be like, oh, okay, how did they catch? Did they catch the shortest? No, effectively, uh, yes, effectively, yes, basically. I mean, they, yeah, effectively, they caught the shortest light span or moment. Yeah, it's actually, and they get they get a Nobel Prize for it. That's exactly, it. exactly, actually, what happens. So if you read okay. into it, there, I, I don't. I will not. I don't want them. But this, the group of scientists basically discovered or they found a method to capture light uh, at a very, very high speed, which allows basically to see electrons and um, uh, other um, particles that previously mm. were very hard to capture. So um, I'm obviously probably already made a mistake in that statement somewhere, but effectively <laughs> they, they can, they, they've discovered methods to capture things that we couldn't previously before. And uh, for chemistry... Um, once again, also a group of scientists received the prize for quantum dots. Now, I did read into this, and this one I cannot explain. So uh, if, if we have any fellow biologists listening, please chemists, come on the podcast. No? Sorry, uh, chemists, right? Uh, okay. Please come on the podcast, and we're more than welcome. We will be happy to talk about it. Yes. Now, uh, literature, uh, a man from Norway has won it. We have a book recommended from him. Uh, it's actually a, it's two books. Uh, if you want to read books from Nobel laureates, those are usually very easy read uh, over the weekend. Uh, the, one of the books that uh, this uh, man, I, I don't want to mispronounce the name, John Fosse, uh, has written is Septology. So, what? Septology. What is that? It's a book. Yeah, but what's Septology? I haven't. It's um, it's obviously nonfiction, right? Because that's what people get the Nobel prizes for. So uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> But I do have the, the last piece of um, the last Nobel laureate that I could explain, and it's actually very exciting. Uh, is a woman called Claudia Golden, and she was the first to uncover basically the key drivers of gender differences in the labor market. So all the talk Ooh. of uh, gender gap, why, what, how, you can thank this woman. Now, obviously, since then there's been a multitude of different sources and resources and papers and research and so on and so forth. But she was the one who actually has proven. Um, uh, in her papers and her and her work, the key drivers that lead to differences and you know to to and also she's the one who studied the the history of um, gender differences in in the labor force throughout the past centuries. So, for example, she describes that how the labor market from um, is basically like a U shape, right? So mm-hmm. previously, the the female component of it was. Very, very back, you know, 40,000 years ago was almost, well, probably was as high as males. Then it dropped, right, during the Middle Ages, where women were basically not as active, especially during the 19th century and 18th century, where women were basically housewives. And now it's, it has gone up. And then she goes into why the gender pay gap is, uh, is different and why people, uh, well, well basically, different, basically different genders have, yeah, I mean, they perform differently in, um, 
or not perform sorry they they get different um rewards and so on and so forth and okay. different achievements in the labor market she actually has a book that came out a few years ago and it's it's user friendly <laughs> you can read it um is so it the invisible woman no uh the one that we're recommending is career and family okay so but the first one of the first books she wrote is just called the gender gap okay so that one is written in the 90s uh and this one is written in 2021 relatively new yes. so if you if you're excited about Nobel laureates uh, we also provide a link to all the Nobel prize winner books rated and uh, ranked by popularity over at goodreads so <laughs> if you want to if you want to spend a short weekend reading Nobel prize winner books <laughs> we have those lists we can follow the link in our newsletter by the way i just googled septology and it's a series of seven works easy easy <laughs> get on a get on an audiobook version and uh, go to the gym with it seven seven versions all right thank you so much for today's podcast that was fun yeah i mean you, some of it was fun some of it was fun yes some of it was fun thank you thank you, thank all you for listening. so much and uh don't forget to subscribe rate us on anywhere you listen to us and if you want to comment or communicate to us or like our posts check out the link or website um, at liberty.com very or you give us feedback that'd be nice too thank you and and recommend us to to your friends Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.